0: I also want today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, prophecy and the news just because uh, people do it so much. And I, I'm going to cut this, I'll just get to the meat of it. And, uh, anyway. Because what I wanted to tell you was, you need to be careful about these people who... One of the things that you will realize about Sign Ministries and now the Pre-Rest Resource Institute and anything else that comes along later, I hope, that there's a serious commitment to not sensationalizing yes. prophecy. <clears throat> we worked very hard the sign ministries. I mean, there was a lot of times when we could have jumped on some bandwagons and we would have had crowds. Yeah. We would have sold books and we would have written new books and we would put that stuff in there. We would have sold a lot of books. We could have sold millions of books if we wanted to coming into Y2K if we were willing to say, this is it. You know, Arafat is, is you know, him, which was a book out at that time, that we've been willing to say this is the end and you need to do this, and boy, you better do that. And if we've been willing to go with some radio commercials, well, right, we could have built people for We million without Bill New houses. <laughs> Rodney and I would be living in the Bahamas right now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> But we just chose not to do that, Amen. and I maintain that. People call me all the time. They want to, know, well, what do you think about so-and-so? Could this be? I, I got a manuscript. I got a manuscript right now. A guy wants to argue that the uh, the EU is it, and, just, and he's waiting. His book is all written, and he's just waiting to see who's going to be elected to the next president, because if the guy gets elected, and he thinks he's going to get elected, then that is it, man. The clock is ticking, and this is it. <laughs> nice fellow. I look at the television, I watch Perry Stone, and I watch some of these people, and I'm just amazed at how they know so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to be careful. Right. Yes. Because of my understanding of Matthew 24, and the analogy, the birth analogy that's controlling the text, <coughs> the beginning birth, pain, hard labor, and deliverance, which is, birth metaphor, and that's how Matthew 24 is built. It's built on that birthing metaphor. Because of that, I do not believe every earthquake, every famine is an indication that we're in the end time. I don't believe that. It's a package. They come together, right. and they're intense. A woman does not have birth pain for nine months woman had birth pains in the last two or three days before the baby comes. That's when you have birth pain. Birth birth pains are not part of pregnancy for nine months. Women couldn't stand it. They wouldn't have babies. Mm. Braxton Hicks is worse than that. When you come to have birth pain, it means the baby is imminent. It means he's getting ready to break. He's coming off. He's coming. It's the sign that says go to the doctor, go to the hospital. God gave us a great sign. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't know it was coming? Just laying there one day and I was like, hey, man. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was sleeping and that night and I had a baby. I think. give us a way so that it's a clear indicator yes. that says it's time for that baby to be born and now you need to make preparation and certain things you need to do to get ready to have that baby come into this world. And Matthew 24 <coughs> is built on that analogy and that analogy is critical for understanding how it works. Therefore, when you hear these people talking about, you know, well, that was a tsunami. End time. Man, we got to be. No. Oh, man, the world is evil and, nah, the world has been evil for 5,000 years And because of that, I tend to ignore most stuff. I don't pay attention to it because it's a cycle. The world just, it goes in cycles. There's intense periods, and then there's lows. Intense periods, then lows. If every time something happens, you want to run somewhere and hide on the ground, you might want to just go ahead and stay on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, for about the last uh, four weeks, once I got this book, and. It was just getting it printed. I started working on something new because I wanted to see, okay, now, when the people, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what was happening? What was the context that God brought Jesus into the world in? Because I'm trying to figure out, okay, the second coming is probably going to be a lot like the first. People totally missed it. They were totally oblivious. There were a lot of anticipation, but nobody was sitting around saying it's within days. Nobody. But my first question that I got to answer is what was God doing in those years immediately preceding the birth of Jesus? Because he knew Jesus was going to be born. He knew exactly when. What was he doing? What was he getting ready? What, what were the things that needed to be ready so that when Jesus was born, everything fit and moved forward? Now, what I found out is, when you go back and you study the 400 years, they call it 400 silent years, and they were everything in silent that there were, there were some conditions that needed to be present at Christ's birth that God had to put in place in order to make it fit. And what I mean by make it fit is Jesus had a very short window. He's so going to be here 30 years. And in that window, he had to do some things and ultimately he was going to die. And God says, okay, now, now, I want man to put my son to death. Yeah. In order to be able to do that, What would I need to do in order to get them into such a shape that with his life, just doing what I sent him to do, would make enough folk folk mad enough, they'll end up killing him in response to just what he's doing. So I've got to have some hatred have got to have some dogmatic people. I mean, folks just absolutely think they've got it right and no, no tolerance. Come on, people who would be willing to say, you know what, this guy's got to die. He, he don't deserve it. He's got to die. What's he doing? Just preaching and teaching. <laughs> what else is he doing? Miracle? Raising from the dead? Matter of fact, I want some people that will look at a man raised from the dead and will conclude, that the most important thing is to put this guy to death because by letting him live and keep raising the people from the dead, they're going to start believing more in him than he believes in us. We, I need something that will be so cataclysmic in their thinking that even raising a man from the dead will not be worshiped and praised and celebrated for the good it is, but right. they will see it as an economic deficit and right. need to do away with him. Right. Good word. Good word, brother. This happened by chance. God was orchestrating. He was bringing things together so that He had people with attitudes that when Jesus just did what He was supposed to do, it would produce in them a radical response. And so I started studying these 400 years, and I have a lot more to go. But in the 400 years, <laughs> There was a a bifurcation in Israel into four dominant religious organizations. Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and Scribes. And they each had unique theological positions that didn't coexist very well together. And they were jockeying for dominance in the culture. And because of their jockeying, if Jesus acted more like a Pharisee, then he'd make the Sadducees mad. If he acted more like a Pharisee, he'd make the Sadducees sad. And if he acted more like a zealot, then they would be happy. But then the Herodians wouldn't be happy because they liked working with Rome and they want everything to be good so we can have this relationship with Rome. And so God orchestrated these groups of people. The second thing he had to do is he had to get a language. He wanted a language that he could use that would take this message like fire immediately. So back in the book of Daniel, he'd already told you there's going to be, the Romans, this, this empire is going to come after Greece and it's going to do certain things, but he didn't tell us all that he was going to do and that he was going to actually be leading it so that when it took its to the world that in this time of peace would also be the time that a message that needed to go to the world would be unobstructed in its ability to flow like fire. See, so all this God was doing. Now, as we look back on it, we can see all these things God was doing and how he was orchestrating everything else, but at that time, people probably were totally aware if they saw nothing, God didn't do nothing. It's okay, now, so I went to the New Testament, I've been trying to read New Testament, out now that the New Testament tells us a lot about when Jesus is going to return. Now in order for that to happen, what, what's the content? How is, 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 are there any things that I can see happening where it's clear, unmistakable that God is, is causing rivers to be diverted so that they're all beginning to flow in a certain direction to accomplish a certain come to a Unended. And there are three of them. Yesterday, I just heard yesterday George Bush said that there's going to be a peace treaty between the Palestinians and the Jews within that's right. a year. That's right. now, I don't know how he knows that. I found that fascinating. <laughs> I don't get scared and I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff like that, but if that happened in a year, I would get scared. Yes. Yeah, Not because I'm afraid I'm going to die, but I'd be, because that's one of the signs. Now, three things that I think that you should be looking for when it's when, if you really want to talk about biblical prophecy in the news and not just a bunch of sensationalism, a bunch of garbage, in my opinion, there are three of them. There may be more. I just three that I'll come up with. Number one. There has got to be a radical change in the orthodox population in Israel. See, right now, the Orthodox, they really are kind of holding things in a certain status quo ante. But in order for Jerusalem to be the kind of city it needs to be, in order for Antichrist to walk in there, there's got to be some radical change with the way that the Orthodox operate in Jerusalem. And, and I don't have time, but I, just watch the Orthodox Jews, what they do they say, what kind of compromises they make, who they're willing to get along with, what they're fighting and fussing about. Just watch them. If you start hearing something that's phenomenal happening with Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem, then just keep your eye on it. Number two, right now about 60% of the world Jewelry does not live in Jerusalem. Correct. They live outside. About more Jews in New York than there is in. in, uh, There is an aliyah going on right now. Jews are going back to Israel, but they're not going back in the kind of numbers that they probably gonna need to go back in in order to get the context right for God to do what He's gonna do with the Jews in Jerusalem. If there's a sudden, if something happened and you got two, three, four million Jews all of a sudden go to Israel, then you should get nervous. Real nervous. Now, from what I understand about uh Ezekiel, there is going to be a phenomenal movement of Jews moving back to Israel. Not anything like it is now. this is kind of just kind of slow drip slow drip, slow drip the 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 majority of Jews are going to be in Israel when the end time sequence falls yes. That's based on Zechariah, what I understand about Zechariah. That's also what I understand about Ezekiel, that that's going to happen. By the way, you get the articles I'll me doing this. But anyway, what is orthodox right now? Their hostility, they're so hostile and they're so resistant that they won't allow very much to happen it, that allow the religious context of climate is going to be necessary. Number two is the number of Jews living in the land itself has it's got a radically shoot-up uh, phenomenon. Second, the third thing... this is the most important one. There is going to be some kind of get along between Arabs and Jews. And it's two particularly. The first one has already happened, Egypt. The second one has already happened, Jordan. The third one is Saudi Arabia, because there's a prophecy that Ammon, Moab, will be part of God's proxy for the Jews in the end time sequence. Also Egypt. Egypt is on the southern end of it. Uh, Jordan, what is now Jordan is on the north end of it and it comes down through, and it's got to come down through what used to be called Ammon and Moab and that is now Saudi Arabia some of that is a little tip of Iraq but it comes down through what is, what is now Saudi Arabia there's got to be some kind just like Egypt made a peace treaty just like Jordan is now on, has this working relationship with Israel, not hostile there's also going to be one between Saudi Arabia what is That country. Now it, it may not be called Saudi Arabia. It may be called something else. The Saudi family, when they go out of power, every time a new family come in, they change the name of the country. So in the Bible, it's not called Saudi Arabia. But I expect there to be a significant change in attitude in Saudi Arabia, just like what happened in Egypt and what happened in Jordan, to the point that Israel can have some kind of relationship. Because when, yes? How can, how can you say uh, Israel and Jordan are when, getting along with this volley? Yeah. It, 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 just in the past year. At least it's got a little nasty, which kind of surprised me. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to last. I think they're going to go back to some kind of harmony just because of, of that prophecy. Um, it's kind of interesting who died and, and all that. Very interesting. To me, it just says the time is not right. God is not right for that yet. It'll, it'll, come, it'll coalesce when it's right. But until then, it'll be hostile. It won't look right. Then all of a sudden, bam, something will happen. And then you'll have peace. Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, pack your, pack your little luggage. Okay? I was watching um, the Saudis. The Saudis are playing a very interesting balancing game right now. But what made me understand this is when, when Jesus says in Matthew, uh, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in place, he says, flee to the mountains. What mountains? <clears throat> flee to the mountains. Yeah, ain't, no, ain't no mountains over there. Certainly there are no mountains big enough, high enough to hide million people. Let's say there were 200,000 Jews who see the abomination desolation go up in the temple and they say I'm, I'm gonna go to the wilderness to hide. Where are you going? Now if you, if you look at a map lately you'll notice, hey, there's no way for 200,000 people to go anywhere around there that can't be seen by just standing on Mount Hermon. That's right. The land's so flat, I mean there just isn't any. And so I'm studying, I'm studying this that word that, that, that is used there. That word, always in the Old Testament, always included the South Negev that goes over into what is now uh, Saudi Arabia. Whenever they use that word, wilderness, it always included South Negev over into what is now called Saudi Arabia. The only way those Jews are going to be able to flee over there is there's going to have to be some relationship that will allow them to cross over there without fear. It doesn't make any sense for you to go right out of the frying pan right into another oven if you say, Well, we leave Israel and go over there. They're going to kill us like flies. Well, why would God tell them to go over there? Obviously, unless He has something planned for which He does. But the fact that they are going to be able to go over there tells me that there's going to be a relational difference between what is now Jordan, the tip of Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. That's, to me, worth watching. All the other stuff it's just, just kick me go. I would be watching that. I'd be watching a number of Jews who are making our way back to Israel. And if you start seeing a, a just just unprecedented boatloads loads of Jews going, all of a sudden just suddenly just want to go. They don't know why. They just got to go. That's a good red light. That's right. You see something significantly happen with the Orthodox I wouldn't I wouldn't pay, you know, a lot of people talk about the temple mount, I wouldn't pay temple mount. I don't think that's gonna be I, when when Paul talks about whatever that holy place is not talking about the marbled building. As a matter of fact, the Second only that word refers to just kind of a tent tabernacle, doesn't refer to a marble building. So they could just find a place up there somewhere on that Temple Mount. Maybe they, they get long enough to have them a little worship hole up there somewhere. Uh, and uh, that's where he go. I don't know. But it, I don't think it's going to be as ornate and as big as we think, that kind of place. But what I do know is that there's going to have to be a radical difference in orthodox character conduct in Israel for anything like that to happen of any significance. They simply won't go along and they won't go along with it. Right now, the, 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 uh, the Orthodox Jews have a, a little block in the Knesset, so they're able to actually manipulate policy, and policy can kind of go the way they want it by their willingness to either get along or not get along. It's kind of e- e- interesting that they're a very small group, but they have a lot of power in how they're able to manipulate the political system in Israel, uh, and things happen that they want to happen, but things don't happen if they don't want it to happen. And that power is going to grow, and grow. That's what you should be looking for. Don't don't be paying attention to all this other nonsense. You know, people, the world goes around and round, which means everything that came around yesterday will be back around tomorrow. When you start seeing stuff that's really unusual, really, really unusual, like two, three, four million Jews want to all of a sudden go to Israel where there's no housing, there's no land, it'll be so grossly overpopulated, you can't hardly move over there. All of a sudden all these people won't be there though. And are willing to live in tents and live, then you, you know something is happening. And it's very important. Orthodox people beginning to worship and beginning to restore the Mosaic Law and beginning to, to, to be honest about following all. Because right now, Orthodox don't follow the Mosaic Law, they follow the tradition. But there's a slow little group of people beginning to return to the Mosaic Law as the basis for the culture, which is a significant move in Orthodoxy. That's worth watching, and then to be willing to watch Saudi Arabia. I think those are things really worth watching, if you want to watch something. Father, I pray today for the people of Israel, the Jews. You declare that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper. They love thee. As we see the hostilities between those poor people, locked, landlocked, forced against the sea. And when we hear that awful man, Ahmadinejad, saying that he wants to do what others have always tried and never succeeded in doing, we have the sweet assurance that we know that Jerusalem will be there, Jerusalem will be Jerusalem. The Jews will be the Jews when you send your son. All the hatred and all the meanness and all the nastiness in the world is not gonna change in one. But I pray for those Jewish believers, who perhaps were evangelized because someone showed them in the scriptures something that was unique or confirmed the Messiah. I just pray that every Messianic Jew is a believer in the Messiah because the Spirit of God opened his eyes and calls him to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And that any rabbi trying to show them any clever way will undermine their faith, that they will stand on the sovereign election of God. And they will know that Jesus is the Messiah, not because of what a passage said necessarily, but because he lives in their hearts and has so radically transformed their lives with peace that they will think nothing else. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.